Um, how many of you are reluctant people? Anybody reluctant in here? Can I see your hand? Reluctant type people? Reluctant to change? You know, how many of you are reluctant about 2022? Anybody reluctant about 2022 in here? Right? I know we were talking about change the other day with the staff, and some people struggle. Can you guys agree? Some people struggle even changing their path home. They take the same path home. They were saying that they have the lights marked out so they know exactly what time to leave the house. And if they're a little bit slower, they'll miss the light. Anybody like that in here? Um, maybe you're reluctant to buy a new car. Anybody like that? You're reluctant, you're like nervous about buying a new car. Maybe a new house. Maybe you're reluctant to get married. Anybody who was reluctant to get married? Maybe you're still reluctant about being married. Don't raise your hand on that. Do not raise your hand on that. Um, I'm reluctant uh, about a lot of things. One of the things I'm reluctant about is deep sea fishing. Anybody, where's my deep sea fisherman in here? All zero. Oh, we got one. There we go. We got one. I knew there'd be somebody in here. Um, I get invited to go deep sea fishing a lot. Okay. I've got, I've gone a lot. Brian's even invited me. We've tried going. Uh, but I will say I will go, but I'm always reluctant. And the reason why is because usually I'm hanging over the side of the boat the whole time. And I'll still, I'll be sick, and I'll be throwing the pole in the whole time and catching fish, and usually I'll just stay with it. But I'm always reluctant about going deep sea fishing. Um, I want to read to y'all a story about a reluctant man, um, and that is the story of Jonah. Anybody ever read the story of Jonah? I would encourage you to go back and read it with the lens of grace, okay? It was kind of fun for me. Um, I read it about a month ago and thought, wow, this is a really neat story, um, something I never had thought I could apply to grace. Um, but Jonah's name actually means dove, and I think a lot of people think that dove, they try to correlate that with the Holy Spirit, okay, which you guys remember the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, so people try to say, well, Jonah and the dove and all this stuff. I don't really know if that's the case. Um, uh, it does say that Jonah was the man who ran away from God. So I kind of think maybe it's because he's flighty. Maybe that's why they called him Jonah the dove. I don't know. Um, but if you remember the story of Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? Nineveh is also a real place in existence. Um, I actually have a couple pictures of like maps and what uh, Nineveh actually used to look like. Um, and it is a real place. It was torn down in 2014. It's been rebuilt. Um, but Nineveh, at the time, was the oldest and most populous city of the ancient Assyrian Empire, situated on the east bank of the Tigris River and encircled by, modern, by the modern city of Mosul, Iraq. In Mosul, a shrine was built to honor Jonah the prophet, and it still stands today. The Ninevites were an extremely violent people. I don't know if y'all know much about the Ninevites. I do, because I spent all week learning about the Ninevites, okay? But uh, they would actually, with their enemies, and when I say they were violent, they would actually behead all of their enemies, okay? Um, and if you weren't killed in battle, or uh, if they kept you alive after they captured you, they would, uh, they had this take it by force mentality, and they would chain you from prisoner to prisoner by taking a, a hook and putting it in your side, and they would take you back to the Assyrian Empire, okay? So when I say they were violent, they were pretty violent. Nineveh was first mentioned in Genesis 10, 11. The cities 
The city was named after Noah's son, Nimrod. How about that name, Nimrod? Um, Nineveh also means place of fish, which may have referred to a goddess associated with the fish or the tigress. Now, I have a map here um, that kind of tells you about this next phase, but Jonah was instructed to travel from Joppa to Nineveh, okay, a 550-mile journey, but instead he decides to hop on a boat and go 2,500 miles the other way to a city called Tarshish, okay? Now, Tarshish is known for producing large amounts of tartar sauce, right? <laughs> and they had a saying that if you wanted good tartar sauce, or if you wanted good tartar, you had to go really far, far. <laughs> I know, that was pretty weak. I know, sorry. That's what I was hoping for. I wanted a want-want. Who gave it to me? It was good. I don't know who did it, but it was good. Uh, but I don't know much about the name or the city Tarshish other than the fact that I hate saying the word. And it also is the modern-day Spain, okay? Tarshish, exactly. Uh, you guys can practice it this week. Um, but I want to begin reading Jonah, and we'll hop around a little bit. But it's going to be, we're going to begin in Jonah 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, um, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, what I love about the story of Jonah is it shows Jonah's humanity, okay? Um, so many people want to identify with, like, the Apostle Paul or Peter, or people want to identify with John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who, you know, like, laid his head on Jesus's chest, and everybody's like, wow, what a great person. Um, and then other people want to, you know, they, they admire um, Stephen the martyr, and while wow, he gave up his life, nobody wants to make Jonah the guy, the guy who ran away from God, their hero. Nobody thinks that way about Jonah. Um, so it shows his humanity. But there are lessons, I believe, that we can learn from Jonah. And I believe the first life lesson that we can learn from this book with Jonah is interruptions are okay. Interruptions are okay. Okay, so uh, and I want to tell you, how many of you guys have ever had God tell you to do something or interrupted your day when you're just going about your day, right? Like you're just going, and all of a sudden he interrupts, and you're like, oh, he, this is an interruption. I better pay attention to what God's saying. Um, I had one of those when I was about 20. I was in Tulsa, and I was going to college, and I was also working at Walmart. Everybody say, God bless Walmart, <laughs> right? Maybe Publix more. I don't know. But uh, I was headed home about 9 o'clock after work, and I felt like this urgency to pray. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pray, and this is kind of how I talk with God or whatever. I turned the radio off, and I just start praying, and I felt like the Lord said, you need to, um, I need you to tell somebody about me and how much I love them when you get back to your apartment complex. And I was like, nah, God, I'm like, I'm kind of tired. I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm ready to go home and go to sleep, okay? I've been up all day. God's like, okay, well, when you see somebody, I want you to talk to them. So I pulled into my apartment complex, and right at the very front, there was this young guy that was like 16 or 17. He had a hood up, and he looked over at me, and I felt like the Lord said, that's him. And I was like, no, nah, that's not him, God. I'm going to go to my apartment, and I'm not going to talk to this guy. I'm good. Like, I'm not talking to him. And this is how you guys work with God, right? It's the same. So I, I get back to my apartment. I pull in, and I remember telling God, I was like, now, if he was in front of my apartment, that would make sense, but he was at the front. I'm not going to pull over like a weirdo and start talking to him through the window about God. So I get out of my car, I start walking up my apartment complex, and guess who's right in front of my apartment? 
this young guy, okay? He's got, his, he's got his hood pulled up. And I'm trying to just, like, maybe get by him and just say hello. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, just real. And he's like, hey, how are you? I was like, ah, oh, he wants to talk. So I got to talk to him about God. And so I let him, we kind of talked back and forth. And I was like, hey, I was like, I don't know if you know, but God loves you. And he goes, wow. He goes, thanks so much. Like, that made my day. I, I was going through a hard time with my family. And, you know, kind of, and I could tell. I was like, okay, I was supposed to do that. Like, I was supposed to tell him God loves you. And I'm like, do you mind if I pray for you? And so he's like, yeah, please. And I went to go pray for him. And I felt like the Lord was like, okay, I want you to talk to him about, you know, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to talk to him about that, God. That's kind of weird. You want to talk to people about that kind of stuff, especially people that don't even know God. And, and he's like, you need to talk to him about it. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk to him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so I go to pray for him. And right, and I, and I asked him, I said, in the middle of the prayer, I said, hey, I said, have you ever been, heard of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he's like, actually, I have. Uh, two years ago, I was at a church. and da, 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 da. I was like, okay, clearly I was supposed to talk to this kid about this thing. So I went to pray for him, and all of a sudden, when I went to go pray for him about this, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit like, like that, right? And I could, I could tell instantly that I, had, I, I was interrupted. My whole life was interrupted, and I was doing a lot of things that I did not want to do at the time. And that's kind of how God works sometimes is interruptions are okay. Now, I will say that uh, Jonah was a little bit smarter than I was. If you go to verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away. From the Lord and headed to Tarshish, the city where they make tartar sauce. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after pray, paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to that city to flee from the Lord. Okay, and I, I, I'm going to summarize basically the rest of the chapter is Jonah gets on this boat. He goes on there with these sailors. Uh, the, the storm comes. God sends the storm. And the sailors are freaking out, and Jonah decides to take a nap down in the boat, okay? And they start talking to their gods about what's going on. They can't figure it out. They start making sacrifices. Then they take this dice, and they roll the dice to figure out who's responsible for the storm. The dice land on Jonah, okay? And then they wake Jonah up, and they're like, hey, are you the reason why all this is happening? He said, well, I, am a, I, am, uh, I do serve the God who made the land and the sea, and he said, and I'm a Hebrew. And so they instantly were more freaked out by the whole thing, and they said, well, what are we supposed to do about this? And he said, the only thing I can tell you is, if you throw me overboard, I, I think your lives will be spared, okay, is what, is what they basically said. And so they, they talked to uh, the God, Jonah's God, and they say, uh, okay, hey, is it okay if we do this? Please forgive us for doing this. We're going to go ahead and throw him overboard. All right, so they, they throw him overboard, and here's where we pick up in verse 15. It says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That sounds familiar. But most people, see, most people think this story is about um, Jonah running from God. How many of you thought that growing up, right? Like, I heard that story a thousand times. You got to do what God is telling you to do. Um, but really, this story isn't about Jonah running from God. It's actually about God running after Jonah, okay? And not just running after Jonah, but literally chasing him down. Me and my little sister, we used to live over in Sarasota, at one of the best beaches in the world called Siesta Key. And uh, I remember my little sister 
uh, she, we would play this game. She's about six years younger than I was, and she would go running from me, okay? And I would chase after her, and you want to know the only worst thing about crying babies is no crying babies, just so you all know, right? So it's a good thing to have crying babies. Uh, but I will say, um, I w- so she'd go running, and the way she would run, she'd always look behind her like this, okay? And she'd be like 200 yards out, and she'd still be looking, and I would go running after her, and she would, as soon as she saw me start running, she would turn around and run towards me, right? And she'd laugh, and she'd giggle and crack up the whole time, all the way till we both got to each other, and she'd fall over laughing because she just couldn't take run, me no, or her knowing that I was running after her. And I will say that that's kind of how it is with God. She knew that she would never be able to get out of my sight. There wouldn't be enough distance between her and I that she could go to where I couldn't catch her. And I want you to know that that is very similar to how it is with God. Like you may think that you can run from God, right? You may think, man, I'm going to run as hard as I can in the opposite direction. But I want you to know he sees you, he loves you, he's chasing after you, he wants to be with you. Amen? Um, Amen. Uh, There's also, uh, you guys know the story of uh, the son, the prodigal son with the father. And I love that part and where it says he went out and he spent everything that the father had given him. And there's this part in that scripture where it says that the father was basically looking for him and it said he saw him from afar off. Okay. And I want you to know that that is how God is. Like you may think that you're afar off. You may think, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know. You know, I don't know if he knows what's gone on in my week. But I want you to know, right where you're at, as far as you feel, he's right there. You might think he doesn't know what's going on in my day. He doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know how I'm acting right now. He does, and he still loves you, and he sees you from afar off. I love that David, King David, uh, came to this conclusion in Psalm 139, 7 through 11. We're going to read verses 7 through 11. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to the heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there. Two, if I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere bringing light into my life. Truthfully, the story of Jonah isn't about God being mad at Jonah. It's actually about his love and provision for Jonah and the people of Nineveh. I want to go back to verse 17, Jonah 1:17. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I love that it said that God provided, okay? Because most of the time you think, well, I'm sure that this is God punishing Jonah, for running from him. But it said that God provided a very large fish, which I kind of consider to be a whale. I don't know what large fish are. I've been fishing. Most of the fish that I catch and pull out of the sea that are big, they're not just mahi-mahi, right? These are big, this is a big fish that that God actually provided. And do you want to know why Jonah, why God had to provide that fish for Jonah? It was because he was going to die. It was because the sailors forgot to bring their dinghy boat, and they threw him overboard. Okay, so there was no way he was going to survive unless God provided 
that to happen. And not only was Jonah, right, in the belly of the whale, but he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. How many of you have been in the belly of a whale for three days or three nights? I haven't either, right? Because most of the time, you don't live to tell the story. So clearly there was some provision that God provided for Jonah to, to go and tell the people of Nineveh the story that he wanted to. All right, so life lesson from Jonah. Interruptions are okay. Another thing that we can learn from this story is Thanksgiving is important. All right, Thanksgiving is important. And I think most of you all, can you guys see what this is? It's kind of supposed to resemble a turkey. <laughs> right? Uh, what are some other things that they give at uh, Thanksgiving? Is it uh, mashed potatoes and gravy? Give me some other stuff. A green bean casserole. What? Sweet potatoes. Green bean casserole. Come on, y'all. Stuffing, that's the one I was waiting for. Okay. How about, how about pumpkin pie? Pecan pie, right? Trace leche. Uh, of course, we got to squeeze that in, right? Uh, um, but I want you to know Thanksgiving is important. Thanksgiving Day is important, okay? But I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to thanking God. Thanking God is important. Jonah 2, it says from the inside, I'm going to go ahead and read this while I'm sitting over here so you can kind of get a good visual, all right? There we go. Jonah, inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for the Lord, and you listened to my cry. Sounds a lot like what David prayed, right? You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. This is what he said. Yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I picture that. I can visualize that. Seaweed was wrapped around his head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath Barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry ground. All right, so what's interesting about Jonah being in the whale is what, what did he do while he was in here, right? Does anybody know what he did while he was in here on the third day? He started, you know, he started to kind of sing, and he didn't sing like a random song. I don't know if I'm going to sing this song. What's the song? Uh, um, he didn't sing, I want to be where the people are. I want to see, I want to see them dancing, running around on the What's it called again? Street, right? He didn't sing that. What did he do? He praised and thanked God right where he was at, right? He started to praise and thank God. Jonah could see God had extended grace even when Jonah didn't deserve it, right? God is faithful even when we are not, amen? God is faithful even when we are not. You can be thankful even while going through hard times, you can be thankful even while going through hard times. I believe Jonah didn't even know he was going to make it out of the whale. 
I should have had you sing it, Scott, I told you. Um, but so most of Jonah 3 is basically about Jonah going through Nineveh and proclaiming the message that God gave, told Jonah to give. Okay, so he went through all of Nineveh for 40 days and 40 nights and proclaimed this message. Okay, we pick up in Jonah 4. It says, this displeased Jonah terribly. That's interesting, right? Uh, basically, Nineveh began to turn uh, their ways and turn to God. But it says in verse 1, it says, this displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was um, in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to the city where they make tartar sauce, because I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgments. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. And the Lord said, you, are you really that angry? Right? Lord, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, God's saying, Jonah, what do you have to be mad at? What are you so angry about? And Jonah, I love, I love this, gives us a picture. Jonah wasn't running because God was angry and mad and wanted to punish people. He ran because he knew God was gracious. He knew God was compassionate. He knew he was slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and one who relents in a threatened judgment. Okay? Life lesson with Jonah, base lessons with Jonah, is basically interruptions are okay, thanksgiving is important, and love stinks. I'm not going to sing that song today. But have you ever met somebody that you can't be mad at? Anybody ever met somebody like that? Like, you just can't be mad at them. You love them so much. I know my little girl is like that, my youngest. Like, her room is trashed every single day, okay? And I'm taking her to bed, and usually I'm stepping on Legos, and I'm hurting myself all the way while I'm carrying her. And she's just saying, I love you, Dad. And I'm like, can you clean up your room, please? She's like, I love you, Dad. I'm like, can you please clean up your room? I, Dad, I just love you. And I just can't get mad at her. I'm like, I love you too. Let me turn the light off. Here we go. I'll see you tomorrow, okay? Please clean up your room, baby. Uh, I was riding with Gabe the other day, and we were, um, Gabe that works with the youth, we were getting off the interstate over here, and Gabe cut somebody off, okay? He literally just pulled in the wrong lane and just cut somebody off. And this person pulled up next to us and was like, you guys ever had those where it's like way too long? They're trying to make a point out of it. And I'm like trying to unbuckle my seatbelt. Like this guy is going to run us over and he's honking at us. And Gabe looks over at him and waves at him, okay? And I saw the guy who looked like he was really angry. He takes his hand off the horn and then he just waves back at Gabe. <laughs> and I was like, how do you do that? How do you do that? He couldn't get mad, but he couldn't be mad at him, right? And I think that that's what Jonah was angry about. Jonah knew God wasn't going to be mad at them, and he hated it. And that's what stinks about God's love and grace is it lets people off the hook. And here's, here's something that I think is mind-blowing to me. Uh, we're not the deciders of who deserves God's grace, we are not the deciders of who deserves God's grace. I would love that responsibility, right? Like, I'd be like, yes, no, yes, no, 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 yes, no. I'd love that. It'd be easy. But that's all based off of what I think. That's not based off of what he thinks. And that should mess with your theology a little bit. Like, 
if you think that God only loves people that deserve it, well, that's not really grace. Jonah 4, 5, and the message, it says, Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made a shelter for himself there and sat down under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. So if you can picture this, right, if you can picture this, he makes this shelter, okay? Jonah literally made this shelter, and he built the shelter over maybe a chair. That's what I picture as a chair, okay? And it said he sat down under it to see what could, what could happen, okay, or what was going to happen. And what I think he was doing was he was settling into his anger, right? He was like, I'm going to settle into the fact that God isn't doing anything, and I'm angry, and he probably had his arms crossed, and he's just staring at the city, maybe growling. He at least had a scowl on his face, you know. If he built this whole shelter so he could just stare at the city. It's a little weird, right? Um, and the story kind of goes on. Um, basically, from there, uh, God plants this bush or plants this seed into the ground, and this bush grew over him to pr protect Jonah's face from getting in the sun. And then, so obviously he was sitting there for a while for a bush to grow over, right? He was obviously had the scowl. And then God planted a worm and killed uh, the bush. And he was trying to show Jonah something. And Jonah was really angry about this bush dying. And God had this whole conversation with him. And, and God was trying to say, just as mad as you are about the bush dying, I was mad about these people hurting people. And I loved to change who they are. I, and the only way I could do that is by showing them love and grace, right? I would say the whale is way worse than the worm, right? The whale situation with Jonah was way worse. I mean, Jonah's on dry ground. He's sitting here, and he's looking at the city, and he's saying, I don't think they deserve. But here, he's over here thinking, God, what happened from this place to this place is a good question, right? Like, how could you thank God while you're in the, be the belly of a whale and over here, after God did something great in these people's life, you're just going to sit down and you're going to stare at the city? And here's what I think happened. I think that he was walking through Nineveh and he began to see and look at the people in Nineveh and think to himself, well, these people don't deserve this message that I'm giving them. They don't deserve God's love. They don't deserve God's grace. And I think that's why he was so angry because he started to see them turn and see them turn towards this God. And he's like, these people persecuted me. They hurt my city. They hurt the people around me. They're hurting all sorts of people. And God, you're going to show them love? Well, that doesn't make any sense. And it's interesting. It was just two chapters that, that he went from this to that. It's similar to, y'all remember the story about when Jesus came to the Pharisees, right? And he started going around. And the Pharisees were sure that Jesus came for them, right? They were sure. They're like, oh, he's here. He's going to lead us. He's going to take over this Roman Empire. He's going to defeat them. He's going to be our leader. And all of a sudden, he just starts hanging out with thieves and robbers and tax collectors and prostitutes and all sorts of people that the Pharisees did not believe deserved God's grace. And that's similar to this scenario. Jonah 4.11, it says, Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their hand and their left, their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? I love that 
he included the animals here. The end. Okay, that was the end of Jonah. The end. The ending is basically, if I can sum it up, it's Jonah being angry at God and God saying, can I not have compassion on these people? And why would it end there? Why would it end with Jonah being mad and God having this conversation with him? I love what Sinclair Ferguson, he's a writer, and he explained here, he said, it carries no conclusion because it summons us to write the final paragraph. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion to its message. For you are Jonah. For I am Jonah. Jonah made a conscious effort to thank God for his goodness inside the whale. Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament while he was in jail. Okay, We need to not only be able to receive God's grace for ourselves, but to be okay when God extends grace towards other people. And that may look different in every situation, right? That may look totally different. Um, I remember about 20 years ago, I had a father-like figure in my life that began to, he chose to go down a road that I knew was going to hurt him. I knew it was going to take him to places that I didn't really want to, and it was hurting me every time I would call him and check on him. It would hurt me. And I would go away, and I, I feel like it would take me 10 days to recover from that conversation. And I remember eventually I was talking to my wife, and I'm like, I think I'm going to have to distance myself. I'm going to have to pull back from this person that's hurting me. Right? And, it, and I think the reason why is we always think we have to be the catalyst for people's change. You guys ever feel like that? Like, it's got to be me. I've got I've to be loving to this person. I've got to show this person mercy. Sometimes it's better to pull back and allow God to show mercy to them. And you don't necessarily have to be the person involved in that. And I think it keeps you in a place of contentment, right? When we can thank God for the grace that he shows us, and when we can thank God for the grace that he's showing others, it keeps us in a place of contentment. Grace isn't just for us, it's for others as well. Interruptions are okay, thanksgiving is important, and love stinks. Good news, we are not the deciders of who deserves God's grace. Amen? Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray for everybody. Father, we thank you, God. You can lift your hands, worship him. Father, we thank you, God, for each one that's in here today, this morning. God, I thank you, God, we speak life into their situation. God, I thank you, God, that at the, as the holidays are approaching, we can thank God for him loving people more than we can love. Sometimes our love can only go so far, God. So I ask that you speak to each one. Give them wisdom right where they're at. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Thank you.